When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Worney, and joining me on the line, as always... The rascal from Rakdos. The boy <laughs> from Beamtown. It's Ethan Sachs, ladies and gentlemen. Ethan, how are you doing this fine morning? I'm doing great. I'm loving this. I feel like sort of a challenge accepted type thing where you have adopted my intro for Charlie on the Survivor podcast into our Lords of Limited podcast. And I'm here for it. I absolutely have. I've also had plenty of time to think before we're yeah. sitting down to record the last two weeks, which is good. <laughs> I love it. I love it so much. Yeah, uh, we'll, be, we'll be chatting a little bit about Rakdos. I've, I've had a bit of a an epiphany, a bit of a diamond in the rough found in uh, March of the Machine draft. And we've got uh, some hype to talk about this week in that we've got two Pro Tour drafts. Paper Magic is back, Ben. Man, the PT being back is awesome. I cannot tell you how much more invested I am in this because there's limited than when limited was missing from the arena stuff. And I think if limited had been a part of the arena stuff, I would have still been pretty darn invested just because high stakes limited is awesome. But the fact that it's back in paper is just incredible. This is my whatever four times a year that I actually watch some standard. Ooh. There's just been content overflowing this weekend. I can't keep up the NBA playoffs. I'm trying to draft Rakdos decks. I'm watching the PT like I am on content overload. Hashtag gumption, Ben. Hashtag gumption. Yeah, so we've got a lot to discuss today. We'll explain what hashtag gumption is in just a second. Get some housekeeping stuff out of the way. First, first things first is the Patreon page, patreon.com slash Lords of Limited is where folks can go to give back to the show if they so choose. Uh, we talk about the Discord being like 24-7 limited tech support, something that uh, folks get access to. Everybody who gives back via the Patreon gets access to the Discord. We had a really sweet addition. I just sort of was like, oh, we should have, you know, we have a like Lowell versus LR showdown watch party, which I don't really get to be a part of because I'm participating in the showdown. I can't like chat while watching it but i was like oh we should start one for these you know high stakes events so i started a, a pro tour minneapolis uh watch party chat and it was really fun because i find i mean twitch chat for the magic channel is a little rough i would say but it was really nice to just get to chat with like our friends our discord folks um over uh, over the weekend especially during the drafting portion yeah it was awesome i was holed up in the bathroom at school watching on my phone <laughs> chatting chatting in discord a little bit it was great i was wondering but like you know there's lots of like why when does the portrait draft start and ben was like is it new and i was like aren't you at school right now it's friday <laughs> I, I was but we're on a bit of a weird schedule a couple different times because we have like testing going on towards the end of the year so have a little bit of empty time in the schedule and made judicious use of it watching the pro tour on my phone <laughs> glad to hear it so anyway uh a lot of awesome stuff happening at the patreon page you get access to that awesome community of the Discord, get access to a number of other things as you move up the reward to your ranks all the way up. You get access to monthly coaching sessions with me or Ben. So if any or all of that sounds of interest to you, or you just want to show us some love with your dollar dollar bills, we really appreciate it. And of course, each and every week, we want to shout out our new patrons when they join. So this week, we're welcoming Chris, Wong Ki, Dan, General Mills, Muhammad, Mike, Paul, Andrew, Sam, Max, Lionel, and Dominic. 
Thank you, thank you, thank you. We really appreciate your support. Yeah, cannot say thank you enough. Show is also brought to you by CoolStuffInc.com, where they've got cool stuff in stock. And that stuff in stock is March of the Machine sealed product. This format continues to grow in popularity. I've been doing some losing, but I think I've turned a corner, been winning a lot more. And regardless, win or lose, which is really a testament to this format, I think, I've been having fun in the vast majority of games, even when I'm losing. You win hard and you lose hard. You just got to be you just got to be mentally prepared for the losing hard. There's some goat scuttle floating around on Twitter. Maybe LSV thinks it's the goat. Sigrist thinks it's the goat. You know, usually we're the ones prematurely starting goat talk. <laughs> I, know, I know. I'm, I'm I know. glad to have had like a warm take. I gave the format a warm welcome. I'm having fun. I'm enjoying it. I do not think it is in goat contention for me, but I have been having a blast. I agree. So when you're shopping at CoolStuffInc.com, maybe you want to pick up a box of March of the Machine sealed product to draft again down the road. I know I'm going to be doing that. Haven't done it yet, but I'm going to get on CoolStuffInc.com and pull the trigger. And when I do, you better believe I'm going to be using checkout code LOL, all caps, to get 5% off anything in the store. And we would really appreciate you taking the time to shop at CoolStuffInc.com if you're purchasing magic cards online and using that checkout code so that we can show CoolStuffInc.com that our listenership is going to support their business. And speaking of cool stuff, there's a lot of other great content that they support over there. Uh, number one, I would say, is Jim Davis, who had just a banger of a Friday. I believe he was one of or the only one of two or the only Edo player uh, to start the Pro Tour, which is just absolutely incredible. And I think this is his second Edo day one that he's had in his career. And I just want to like shout out Jim. I know that day two didn't go as he would have hoped um, with that Edo start, but it's still just like an incredible run. And I just want to shout him out as someone I am constantly in awe of. Like he is a prolific and consistent content creator, like always putting out YouTube stuff and articles. And he's also consistent with his like Mog Mondays and Throwback Thursdays on Twitter. And like he always streams on top of all that. And is also excellent at magic and excellent at both limited and constructed. That's just very, very hard to do. And a family man, recent father, and a family right? Man, well, re- recent father of now two. Yeah, so like recent, uh, recent father of a newborn for sure. Yeah, I, it's a, uh, it's very incredible. So congrats to Jim over at Cool Stuff for uh, for the eight zero start on Friday. Awesome. All right, let's uh, let's get into a, a wee bit of a format update before we dive into these Pro Tour drafts. So when last we left you on Lords of Limited, we were in the middle of the Arena Open, and I sadly went two two in my first draft with that uh, Nutter Butters Blue Black deck that I had. Um, the draft and the matches are edited for your convenience. I have the games up on our YouTube. Channel, um, so some really good, you know, gameplay and lots of sideboarding. I forgot, I forgot about sideboarding, Ben. Oh, it's so good. It was so yeah. good in this format, specifically yeah. too. Yeah, just like lots of. Oh, okay, I was swapping seven, eight cards between games. Sometimes it was kind of crazy. Yeah, I swapped out in and out entire colors in my first one. I Oof. went three one and uh, qualified for the second draft. Drafted. Green white in the second draft, a really good, I think, tight green white deck, and then just promptly didn't get to play Magic Mulligan a couple times and got steamrolled in the first round of draft two, but had a blast. And I, I do think this format in a higher stakes draft pod felt way better to me and also getting to sideboard. Just just so we're clear, you don't draft with exclusively day two people. Yes, I agree. Okay. Like there's there's random best of three people mixed in there, but the vast majority of people that you're queuing with are day two drafters. I would imagine so. Yes, I, I agree with that for sure. Yeah. And we should shout out that there is another one of these in two weeks. So next weekend is a limited qualifier, which uh, there was a best of one play in for that yesterday that I six owed. So queued for that. And then on Friday, there will be best of three qualifier play ins for a, a sealed tournament all weekend next weekend. 
And then the weekend after is another March of the Machine Arena Open, which is crazy. We get so much high stakes limited. There's too much content. (laughs) Too much content, says Ben. Speaking of content, would I be Lord Tupper if I didn't talk about companions on this podcast? I would not. I have checked off eight of the 10 companions companioned so far, Ben. I still need to catch Kahira and Obosh to have them all, but eight out of 10 so far. Where, Where are you at? I'm two for 10, baby. I've done Yorian and Othreed, and I've done Lewis <laughs> and Othreed. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Well, so that's a ringing endorsement right there. Um, I wanted to <laughs> talk about the the website that shall not be named on the Pro Tour coverage, which is 17lands.com. Hit up 17lands.com. <laughs> I know. I don't, don't love that for them because I do love 17lands.com. Hit them up. They've got a Patreon. Support them over there as well. Um, we chatted about some cards that maybe had surprised us last week. Um, maybe looking at the data, didn't quite understand it from just the face value numbers that I've had a chance to get my hands on quite a bit this week that I wanted to talk about. First up is Omen Hawker. That's the single blue one one that taps for colorless and a blue mana, uh, but you can only use it to activate abilities. I started off the week kind of obsessed with this card. I tweeted that this plus that urn, that's the one that uh, you can pay two mana to filter into any color of mana, and then you can pay six tap sack it to blow up a creature enchantment. I tweeted that that plus urn was Birds of Paradise, which it kind of is. <laughs> a two-card Birds of Paradise, yeah. Two-card Birds of Paradise, but then also the Omen Hawker turns the urn into a four-mana removal spell instead of a six-mana removal spell. Equipment costs it, it uses for, obviously, incubate flips. It's it's a pretty dang good card. Unfortunately, I think the days of it wheeling are gone, and so I'm not sure like when you're supposed to go all in on it because it was kind of that was part of the benefit of it was, ooh, I, I can peg it in this pack and I'm going to get it pick 10 or whatever. Yes. Also, the days of blue being wide open, I think are fewer and far between from the pods that I've been in lately. I'm a little more hesitant to try to go into blue. I think I'm only doing it for preening champ at common. I keep getting into trouble when I go into blue for a far as dispersal, like having to pick dispersal highly feels pretty bad, right? Part of why blue was so good is you got eyes of Gataxias pick 10. And now you're not getting that. Sometimes you are. Sometimes you are. But I think the the days of that being consistent are definitely gone. And I think people need to catch up. I was doing quite a bit of coaching towards the end of the week and had a lot of draft logs where I was like, stop getting into blue at common for these cards. Because part of the reason you could do that was like, even preening champ, people like didn't quite know or didn't quite respect. Um, So I, I agree with that take. And that'll get us to our our hashtag gumption in just a second. Um, another card that I got my got a chance to get my hands on is Aerial Boost, the one in a white plus two plus two and flying trick that has Convoke. I didn't quite realize how nuts this card is with the amount of vigilance that white plays with. Like the fact that you get to add to the board and attack and threaten to use your combat trick is really busted. Have you had a chance to play with this yet? I've played with it more since last week, and I had played with it once or twice. I completely get it now compared to Divine Intervention. It's free. Like, that's the reason, right? Both of them are tricks, and you're trying to outmaneuver your opponent. And one of them, you have to leave two mana up to be able to try to outmaneuver your opponent. And Aerial Boost, while covers less situations, in total, still covers a lot of situations and is completely free. Yep, that's, that's the thing. I'm still not a huge fan of white. I think white has fallen pretty far for me in terms of the color power rankings. Where are you at with white decks these days? I'm fine with white. I think white's I think it's all fine. I think it's all fine. I really (laughs) do, which is not a hot take, but I think it's all fine. Like white blues, great. 
Like you can still get steamrolled by a white red deck or a white green deck or like a white black deck. If there's just some rares floating around, I feel fine about all of it. Yeah, I think that that's fair. I think that is kind of a hot take. I think a lot of the the, the regular takes are about what we're going to get to, which is that red is unplayable, right? Red is terrible. It's the worst color. And and to that, we were chatting last week about furnace rains. I had posed the question to you, like, why is this red's top performing uncommon? And you were like, I don't know. Who cares about data? And we got some uh, follow-up information from folks in our Discord about how Furnace Reigns, and this is the act of treason effect, sorry, the steal a creature, you get it for uh, a turn. If it deals damage to a player or a battle, you get a treasure, um, which is also quite relevant. But uh, Furnace Reigns stats in particular in red-black was what was boosting it. And so it was like red-black pulling it up a lot. And that brings me to my main point for this week, which is that Rakdos is nuts. It is currently forcible in like 90 plus percent of drafts. And I need to give it a formal apology on the show because a couple weeks ago, I came to you, Ben. I was, we were talking about this red-black deck I drafted. It went 3-3. The wins were scrappy. The losses were resounding losses. And I, I didn't think it was a good deck or whatever. I get it now. And the, the main card I was missing, and we'll talk about why Furnace Reigns is also very good in it. But the key card that I was missing in Red Black that is the truth for me right now is Beamtown Beatstick. That's the red equipment, equip cost of two, equipped creature gets plus one, plus oh, and menace. And when it deals damage to a player or battle, you get a treasure token. This card is the truth. I would like to co-sign this. Usually your tangents of <laughs> like, I found the worst color and I found out how to make it work and I'm going to do it all the time. Usually I'm like, I don't know, man. Like, I yeah. still just kind of want to keep playing with the best color. But I am 100% co-signing this take. And we talked about Beamtown Beatstick last week, too. I was saying right. you know, it's been really impressive. I've lost to it quite a bit. It's put me in some troublesome spots. But I still hadn't even seen it pop off in the Red Black Treasures deck. And it, it is kind of Red Black Treasures sacrifice, right. right? Not just Red Black Sacrifice. Because the treasures you get from the Beatstick are then just free equity to where you get all the sacrifice synergy, but don't have to reduce your board for the sacrifice synergy. Right. That's the exact thing is that this is a repeatable source of treasures for you, which just does a world for this deck. And not only that, but the menace in plus one plus O helps you pressure your opponent. It turns all of the cards that you're interested in putting in the deck, your like cheap one ones, your Nizumi informants, maybe Ral's reinforcements, Icker Drinker, it turns them all into threats. Like menace and plus one plus O is a big boost. And what you're talking about with it's really a treasure sacrifice deck is so true because all the things that can sacrifice stuff can sacrifice treasures, can sacrifice artifacts. And so your Dreg Recycler can sac artifacts to drain them for one. Or your your Stormclaw Rager, the one black red 2-2, two, two, you can pay one to sacrifice stuff at sorcery speed to draw a card and put a plus one plus one counter on it. That also can sacrifice treasures. So that all adds to this deck. And then the main thing why we were, we we're calling this episode Jury Duty is that jury cares about whenever you sacrifice permanence. And so that's the the, the black-red 1-1 one, one grows when you sacrifice permanence, and then when it dies, it deals damage to any target equal to its power. Treasures plus jury is the real deal. Super real deal. And not only that, but here's the selling point where you sold me, right? Is that no other deck yes. wants jury, right? Like, so, so many other, like, you're blue-black. People are poaching and splashing your Halo Foragers. You're blue-black. People are poaching and splashing your Invasion of Amonkets. No deck except hyper-focused red-black wants Jury. Well, and I think that extends to the other two cards as well, the Sacrifice Outlet, the three-mana Sacrifice Outlet, and Invasion of Asgul, which is excellent. Like, it's not Invasion of Amonkhet, 
but it's probably one of, if not the second best battle at Uncommon, in my opinion. Well, and also with the battles, the beat stick makes it so much harder for your opponents to want to play defense against yep. the battles. Like all of a sudden, are they leaving back three things to protect their invasion of Asgol so that their your beat stick creature can't get in on it, you know? And then there's other uncommons. So not only do you get the signpost uncommons for the deck that float around, there's other uncommons that no deck wants. So Furnace Reigns. And Furnace Reigns in this deck, because there's so much sacrifice outlet stuff, right? You've not only got the repeatable sack outlets, but you've got Final Flourish that can also sacrifice treasures, as Ben found out live on stream last night. Uh, Final <laughs> Flourish is the one on a black. Something gets minus two, minus two. Or if you sack a creature or artifact, it gets minus six, minus six in- until end of turn instead. Um, that can sacrifice treasures. Um, but so Furnace Reigns in this deck is basically like a three mana deadly derision because it's three mana, kill a thing, get a treasure. And the treasures not only, like the treasures do so much for the deck in terms of ramping, but they also do so much in terms of fixing as well. Some of my decks, and I've drafted this deck a lot over the past few days. I am, like I said, basically forcing it. I have done it, what now? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I'm on my seventh right now. And here's my record with these. Six, three, five, three, seven, two, seven, one, six, three, four, three, and I'm five and one currently with this one. So this deck, and this is in Diamond into High Mythic. Um, hey, you were top 10 Mythic when I was watching you. Yeah, I was number Saturday six. Morning. I mean, it's early in the season, so that's not, doesn't say a ton, but like the deck is performing. This deck is not just like, um, it's not a meme. As Ben said, he's usually like, okay, Ethan, this is cute, but like, how do people actually win? This is how you can actually win. And I am literally going in and forcing this deck. I took Volcanic Spite, pack one, pick one over the green, green, white, white, Galta, rare. Like, I'm just not interested in it. And it feels like how I often approach Jund in cube. It's like, yeah, you could get a good blue deck. You could get a good green splash all the good cards deck in this format. But people are wise to those decks and you might or you might not get it. I really feel like this Rakdos deck is doable like 90 plus percent of the time. Well, and it... And it takes a certain bit of and it takes a certain <laughs> bit of discipline to do what you're talking about, which is where hashtag gumption came from. You're like, now Ben, you're gonna do this. You can't be derping around. And one of my favorite things to do in powerful draft formats is derp around and waffle. Yeah. And you get yourself in a little bit of trouble. Like I we went through one of my draft logs after you first showed me this, and I had like speculated on some cards that let me miss filler for the deck that ultimately took away my ability to force it. And I could have, I think, forced it had I not speculated on some other powerful cards. I've drafted the deck two times in a row after that as well to good success once, 7-1, and then 1-3 with a good version of the deck. I think just got a little unlucky. Yeah. And then the last draft I did, it wasn't really open, and I pivoted into red-green. I do think, in hindsight, I could have probably forced it there, but I'm a red-green splash all the bombs deck. So I think if you don't, know how to force this is like a whole other topic i think yeah. for an episode maybe is like how to force niche decks like this when they're pretty consistently open and i think that would be a really interesting episode down the road but you're trying to steer into i think black is probably the safest place to steer to right and then like you just know you're gonna wheel the gold cards most of the time right that's the thing and it's not only those signpost uncommon gold cards but also other commons like furnace rains furnace gremlin is very good in this deck as double bodies that's the one in a red one two that has one in a red plus one plus one until end of turn and when it dies you make an incubate token uh with counters equal to its power valduk is quite good in this deck because you're playing two three four copies of beamtown beat stick sometimes um these are all cards that basically nobody else wants 
they're all just going around the table. And so you can get them late. I got, you know, I think I got a pick eight jury in one draft, a pack one, pick 11 jury in another draft. This deck currently capitalizes on people's love for blue decks and their hate for red decks. And after we talk about it, if a lot of people listen to the show, who knows, maybe it's not going to be as open, but certainly a deck you should keep your eye out to draft forwards and steer towards. And I think another thing too is Dreg Recycler just being a free sacrifice outlet at common. Also, just a very important piece for the deck that you're going to reliably get. Yeah, yeah, I think that's totally true. I was showing this uh, deck and, and some of these shells to someone I was coaching with, and they were like, well, so this deck exists entirely at Uncommon. You need the Uncommons. I was like, who cares? There's like eight Uncommons in every pack in this format. <laughs> like, the thing you should be focusing on is that the deck doesn't need rares. I had a version of this deck where I took Ayara, not the um, the multiverse one, but the the one in this format, the double-faced one, one black, black, tap, sack a thing, it deals damage to your opponent or a battle, and you gain that much life, whatever. I had the opportunity to take that or a second Furnace Reigns. I absolutely, at the end of it, wanted the second Furnace Reigns. I did not need this three-mana sacrifice outlet. This deck, like, yeah, it exists at Uncommon, but like I said, there's like, whatever, half the pack is uncommon sometimes. Yeah, well, and I think the other thing that this deck has done for me personally, and this is probably another like fleshed out topic for a whole episode, but I've been fairly at sea in the format in that I don't know what I want to do because nothing keeps working for me. And there are some formats like that for everyone, right? Maybe not this format, but we've all had that format that just mm -hmm. hasn't clicked and you lose. And then once you're losing a bunch, it's really hard to tell what's actually good or where you're going wrong or, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm so used to in a format having like a subset of three or four decks that I can steer towards almost every draft, no matter what goes on in the draft. And I just haven't had that here. So I've been letting my rares push me different directions. And I've been speculating a lot just on powerful cards. And I do think you navigating towards a deck in this format is very helpful, especially when the packs are weak or you don't have a clear direction. Otherwise, like knowing how to draft this deck and what the pieces are just feels like it's opened up the draft format for me so much because when picks are close and I'm like, oh, I don't really know what I want to do. Now I have something that I want to do or can do reliably. And this led me down another train of thought, which is that I think I've drafted blue-white soldiers maybe once, which, which can't possibly be right because it's one of the well, best Well, because it's format. actually not a deck in the format. Okay. It's nice. Dang it. <laughs> you would say we set that up for the content, but that would be a lie. I'm that just was, an idiot. That was just real. Okay, sorry. What were you actually saying about blue-white knights? So what I was actually saying about blue-white knights is that I've only drafted it once. Get it together. I'll get it together. I've only drafted it once and I can't possibly be right because it's one of the best decks in the format. And I pegged it that way early on. Right. So mm -hmm. I don't know if I should have been trying harder to get into it. Like there's no way I've done 50 drafts or 60 drafts or whatever I've done. And it was right to be blue, white in my seat once. So figuring out much like red, black, how you can start to draft towards it to raise the likelihood that you end up in that deck. And I have done that for blue black quite successfully. I've ended up in blue black a lot and just lost, unfortunately, but should have probably been drafting blue white in there too. And I want to think about what you've done for red black here for how to do that for blue white. And maybe now is not the right time while blue's a smidge overdrafted, but just having a concept like this for a deck in your mind during the draft is pretty important, I think. Yeah, well, I mean, I think the two cards come to mind for me about Blue White Knights that I like, I see as, oh, that's like a payoff or that's like a, that it, it fits into this red black idea of, you know, it's a good card for the deck that I don't want to spend an early pick on. And that's the two mana three one in white 
that gets first strike if you've played a knight that turn. And uh, was it Porcelain Knight, the four mana, three, four in blue that taps a thing, keeps it tapped if you have a knight? I think those cards, I see them consistently late. And I'm like, I know those are good. I've, I've lost to them in knight's decks. And maybe those are cards that I just, that like you could do a similar thing with for a blue-white aggro shell of like, these are cards, like when the packs are weak, I just take these knights cards because no one else wants them. Right. Well, and one of the best things too, I think about this Rakdos deck and blue-white also, and maybe you can do a similar thing with aerial boost, but that both of them are pretty aggressive and pressure opponents. I think mm-hmm. that's what's been missing from me when I've been losing a lot is I've been trying to get my power level high, right? And so I've been trying to do that by speculating a lot on really powerful cards and then getting some powerful cards and then just getting them into a deck. But you can also get power from a super streamlined deck, right? Mm -hmm. Which this red black deck is, which blue white is. I was watching um, Kyle Rose, Ham TV, draft blue white last night and he was kind of approaching it similarly in that he seemed like he really wanted to be blue white or blue black and was was pretty consistently steering into blue white but that ultimately whether you're doing it with red black or blue white just ending up in a really synergistic powerful aggro deck is a good place to attack the format from right now and i think i've been kind of end up ending up in less focused mid-rangey decks with maybe some more powerful cards because it took me a little longer to get there in the draft or i didn't have a clear idea of what i was shooting for in my head you know yeah i think i mean i think that speaks to Going back to your initial takes of it is the cube-like nature of the format, right? Like you can do that in cube so much. Like largely you can go into a cube draft and if there's a deck you want to draft, you can draft it. Now, will it always be the best version of that? No, but you can probably get a version of that. And I think you can do that here with a number of these archetypes, especially these lesser sought after ones. All right. Ooh, so good. I just want to talk more about that. We got some PT drafts to get to. That's right. Okay, let's talk about drafting this format in paper. What a wild ride, huh? Yeah, holy cow. So they did this thing at the PT where they and was expecting this where you flip the cards and you know you hold them up in front of you and everybody can kind of see your flip cards when you open your pack one pick one and everybody's like craning their necks to look around the table at who opened what bombs where to try to figure out what colors to stay away from. But then the weird thing was that they've never done before, that to my knowledge, they had everybody sleeve the cards so that you didn't ultimately know what was picked, but you know what was picked, right? Like, <laughs> so Reed opens pack one, pick one, Invasion of Fiora, which is the Black Wrath, and Kenra Spellspear, the 2-2 that flips into the prowess creature with Ward. And you know Reed is taking Invasion of Fiora almost 100% of the time. Right. So what I'm wondering is, to avoid this awkwardness, why didn't they just have everyone pre-sleeve the packs while they were stamping and, you know, like tying them together in those those paper sleeves that they do? Yeah, I wondered, there's no way they had people sleeve them at every table, right? Or did they? I would assume so for competitive integrity. No? Yeah, so then just like, I don't know, maybe that just that's a terrible day for a bunch of judges is like sleeving these packs beforehand but you're already stamping like you're it's already a terrible day oh okay yeah right yeah like each card is individually stamped why not sleeve while you're doing that it's already a miserable day <laughs> okay i agree i'm with you but so that was weird about it and maybe that is more time intensive like i'm not on coverage maybe that's more time intensive than is feasible mm. but it was awkward and then what they also didn't do was I think coverage was incredible, but as a limited viewer, the camera not panning in on every single person's two cards that were revealed was incredibly tilting to me. 
because you just it's information you need to follow along with the draft in a in a competitive sense because there's there's big implications for people opening powerful cards in those seats and i think the second day they did a better job of panning around the table but day 1 we saw hardly any of the cards that were revealed by people yeah i i think i mean maybe this is a topic for <laughs> it's a topic for a different kind of podcast but like that is something that you really want and i'm not sure if that's something that everyone Want sure. Yes, that's wants. fair. Yeah, but yeah, I yeah. also, but that's my larger issue with pro tour coverage is that magic coverage in general, like, doesn't really know who its audience is. I think, like, I have a, I have a, I have a struggle with like, who is this for? Is this for like the most entrenched player, or is this to get people excited about limited? And I feel like they try and do everything. Total line in between. You know? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and it's not. I hear that. Very successful in my mind, but. Anyway, that's like I said, topic for for someone else's podcast, I guess. Because we know who our audience is, and it's you all, <laughs> dear listeners. That's right. And we know that you want that spiky content, and we also know that you're going to slam Invasion of Fiora like Reed does. Yeah, so pack one, pick one. Reed gets that Invasion of Fiora. And worth noting, two to his right, and Alesh Norn is open. The the new Alesh Norn, the flip card that flips into a saga. So Reed is maybe going to be thinking he wants to stay out of white if he can, but that was the only other thing we could see, was Reed's open, so Invasion of Fiora and Kenra Spellspear, and then Alesh Norn, two to his right. Great. All right, so pack one, pick one. You slam that Invasion of Fiora. Pack one, pick two. You see the following cards as options. So Skittering Surveyor, three mana for the one, two that lets you search up a land. There's Invasion of Muraganda. Ooh, these invasions are going to test me. This is the green invasion that puts a plus one, plus one counter on something and then lets you fight a creature. There's Gift and Completion, the one in a black enchantment that lets you incubate three. And then when a Phyrexian dies, you scry one. There's a rare Dust Legion Duelist. That's the one on a white 2-2 two, two, that whenever a plus one, plus one counter is placed on it, you get a draw card. And it's also got Vigilance. There's Mirror Shield Hoplite, the red-white uncommon. And then Niv-Mizzet, five-color spice incoming. What do you take here? I mean, this is a pretty, for me, pretty clear gift of completion, which I'm, I'm curious about your take because I know Ooh. we were chatting about this yesterday that you are not a huge fan of this card. I just keep losing with it. That There's like a list of four cards that intellectually <laughs> I know are good. And I think other people value highly and other people do well with those cards against me. And I just keep getting into bad spots with them. And Gift of Completion is on that list. I, I would not take Gift here. I'm low enough on it that I would take, I think, either Skittering Surveyor or Dust Legion Duelist. I think with the information I had about Eleshnorn, I would pass the Dust Legion Duelist because Black White also doesn't particularly care about getting plus one plus one counters on Dust Legion Duelist. It's more mm -hmm. of a, a green white card or a red white card with backup. So I think honestly with Invasion and the table knowing that I have Invasion, I would take Skittering Surveyor just so I could be pretty flexible. It's going to help me find land drops towards my Invasion of Fiora. But like you can't splash Invasion of Fiora, really. I mean, you can, um, but your man has to be really, really good. So uh, there's like two takes, right? Is that the take you taking Invasion of Fiora, the table's going to steer clear of black, like you're already talking about doing in terms of, well, two to my right, someone opened Elishnorn. So even though I like Dusk Legion Duelist, I'm not going to take it here because I don't want to get into white under someone else. The table may just be like, eh, we know Reed's drafting black. We're not going to fight him for it. Yeah, but I, 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 I just like Skittering Surveyor more than Gift of Completion. That's, it's not even a that's like, wild wanting to avoid black or whatever. <laughs> I just like Skittering Surveyor better. And I think it keeps you more flexible. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I don't know. I think Gift is a really good two drop. But it's a four drop. That's the thing, right? Like you put it in your two drop slot, but it's not a two drop. Yeah. But, but, it's, but a three, three really makes up for it, you know? Sometimes. 
Gift of completion being your two drop on the draw feels pretty terrible. I agree. You you have you have the option to mulligan. I'll I'll tell you that. You can't do it. <laughs> All right. So Reed agrees with Ethan and takes gift of completion here. Moving on to pack one, pick three. There are some options. There's an Azumi Informant, the 1-1 one, one rat that makes you discard a card, or your opponent discard a card, rather. That's much better. Uh, there's Elspeth Smite, the single white deal three to an attacking or blocking creature. There's Seal from Existence, the enchantment removal spell, the O-ring effect with Ward 3. And there's also a Storm the Seed Core, the two green green sorcery that puts four plus one plus one counters combined in any way among your creatures, and they get Vigilance and something else maybe. It's Vigilance and Trample. There we go. Yeah, I mean, this seems like a pretty straightforward Nizumi Informant to me, especially given the Gift of Completion pick two. Yeah, how close is Seal from Existence for you, knowing that Alesh Norn was open two to your right? Does that play into it at all? Are you taking Nizumi Informant here over Seal from Existence, regardless of whether or not you know Alesh Norn was open two to your right? So yeah, if I know nothing about two to my right, I'm still taking Informant here because like, in my mind, Invasion of Fiora is a real pull into black. And I assume it is for you as well. Yes. And so that's why I would still take Gift of Completion pick two over Dusk Legion Duelist or whatever, not knowing about white two down the road because I'm going to warp my pick order for black cards. And I like Gift well enough. I don't think I'm taking a hit in power level. I'm not even sure I am at all over those other cards. Like if it's if it's not the best card, it's close. And same deal here. Like Nazumi Informant, yes. Is it worse than Seal? I agree. I, it's worse than Elspeth Smite. Yeah, probably. But it's good in a black deck and gets me deeper into black and ensures more that I get to play Invasion of Fiora. That's my thinking. Yeah, that's for sure. I, I agree. I think it's close here. I would also, after taking Gift, I would also take Nazumi Informant. I think if I had taken Skittering Surveyor, I would be much more interested in Seal as a card just to lock up a removal spell, which I assume is going to get cut off pretty heavily at the Pro Tour. And it's also seemed to be the case on day two of the Arena Open was that it was tough to find removal in some packs. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, Reed agrees with you and takes Nazumi Informant. And then moving on to pack one, pick four. See the following cards as option with an invasion, a gift of completion, and an Nazumi Informant in your pile. There's Furia Sigil of Valor. That's the black, white, gold uncommon, the 2-4 flying lifelink angel. If you double spell, you get to look at the top three and put one in your hand. There's Invasion of Eldraine. That's the three and a black enchantment that mind rots your opponent and then flips into a 2-2 that does two damage to your opponent if they have two or fewer cards in hand on their upkeep. There's also a Sigiled Sentinel, the 2-2 with backup one and Vigilance, and Tenured Oilcaster, the 2-4 with Menace, and then gets pumped if your opponent has eight or more cards in their graveyard. Yeah, this would seem to me like, again, a pretty clear-cut take-a-black-card Invasion of Eldraine pick. Like I've liked Invasion of Eldraine just fine in this format, um, so I, I would happily take that here. Yeah, I would also be on Invasion of Eldraine here. Reed disagrees. And the usual disclaimer that we did not give at the beginning of this, that neither Ethan nor I are on the Pro Tour, nor anywhere near as good of a Magic player as Reed Duke. We are just two two blokes, armchair uh, quarterbacking this draft. And I think Reed took Furia here, and I think I think it was a bit of a mistake. I, I would take Invasion of Eldraine, I think, 10 out of 10 times, but maybe Reed knows something about Black-White from their testing houses and maybe pod play that we don't know. I guess that's true. I have not cast a Furia yet in this format, and I hope to never do so. 
that's, that's, that's my feeling. I don't know if I would go that far. I mean, it's fine in black, white, but Invasion of Eldraine, I think, is just a higher impact card and, and keeps you one color. Yeah. So maybe a slight miss there from Reed. So he took Furia. Moving on to pack one, pick five. Reed gets a Dreg Recycler. That's the 2-2 that taps to sacrifice a creature or an artifact uh, to drain and gain out of a pretty weak pack. There's nothing else of interest there. And honestly, the rest of pack one is is pretty straightforward for him. That's what I think. I think there's like a couple the, the next pick is kind of interesting because he has to not take a black card. Um, he has a choice in my mind between Furnace Gremlin, the aforementioned one in a red one, two that has smoke breathing. And then when it dies, it uh, makes an incubate token equal to its power and Oracle of Tragedy. I mean, I'm, I'm just too high on this card, I guess. This is the one a blue one, three. When it enters the battlefield or dies, you get to choose one, uh, draw a card if you do discard a card, um, or shuffle up to four cards with mana value three or more from your graveyard into your library. I like Oracle. Mm-hmm. Am I not supposed to like Oracle? I like Oracle too. Maybe would, we're both wrong. <laughs> I would be inclined to take Oracle there, but Reed took Furnace Gremlin, which pans out well for him because he takes another Dreg Recycler, and then pack one, pick eight gets Stormclaw Rager. So kind of teed up to do black red sacrifice right and well and this is the the disadvantage of picking that furia pick four right if yes. you take invasion of eldraine you're set up to be black whatever uh-huh and the way the draft has panned out at least to this point through pick eight reed is looking like he's on track to be black red and then going to have to abandon furia mm-hmm. and then the pack rounds out on the wheel with just like a bunch of nothing cards maybe a flywheel racer if he's interested in splashing but like truly nothing worth mentioning here pick nine through 14 yeah so at the end of pack one reed is black for sure uh-huh. with out to pair anything with black at this point right i mean he's got the furnace gremlin and the stormclaw rager so i would if i'm him i'm like i'd like to be black red i think especially with rager going pick eight that seems like it could be an open lane but yeah you have outs to pair with anything all right so moving on to pack two we've got the again awkward reveal reed reveals Etherblade agent and kenra spell spear and invasion of mercadia that's the the red the thrill of possibility battle as it were and then Someone across the table from Reed opened Vorin Klex, so not really affecting Reed's draft at all. But again, pretty weird to not have all of the information here as a viewer. And then we move into pack two. So not not a ton of information to be gleaned there for Reed. So we see Reed's pack one, pick one. In the commons, he's got Etherblade Agent. That's the 1-1 one, one Death Touch that can flip into something that will draw you cards on hit. We've got Cosmic Hunger, the green common fight spell. Ephara's Dispersal, the, the blue bounce spell. And then on the uncommons, we've got Kenner Spellspear and Invasion of Mercadia as some red uncommons that would be good for Reed, as well as Phyrexian Gargantua, the 4-4 that when ETBs, you draw two cards and lose two life. That card has impressed me. I thought I thought it was going to be just like Clunk City, like it was a cute throwback or whatever in this format. I think that card's good. Yeah, I agree. It's good in the attrition decks, right? It's good in mm-hmm. the decks that want a one for one, one for one, one for one, keep the board clear, and then slam Phyrexian Gargantua to, you know, pull ahead in card advantage and board presence. Right. I mean, I think it's quite good. Like red, black, I think it's quite good in the Rakdos deck because your curve is often so low. You have one of the, the problems with Gargantua is in this format in general is these like sort of medium powerful cards that are five six mana you just can't really afford to take because you're gonna see better stuff but like a rakdos deck you often don't have stuff at the top of your curve partially because all of those signposts are two mana or three mana that uh that you can slot this in and it's nice yeah i've liked gargantua all that though is going to get trumped by our rare we've got boon bringer valkyrie in the Oof. rare slot for reed that's the three white white angel with four four flying first strike lifelink and backup one i don't complain about rares 
very often, Ben. Ooh, but I will say... Do you complain about Boonbringer, Valkyrie? I don't like Boonbringer. It's not as egregious. Sunfall is perhaps the only card in the format that actually tilts me. I get like I, I do have a little tiny tilt in my heart when someone casts Sunfall against me. Boonbringer Valkyrie is kind of a close second, though. Wow, that is way down my list of power rankings in terms of t- tilt power rankings. In terms of t- yeah, the tilt the tilt rare power rankings, not even near the top. We've got it just like, up there. We've got through the breach. Like yeah. Boonbringer Valkyrie is pretty tame. Dies to Doomblade, baby. Dies to Doomblade, except like if you're aggressive. If you're aggressive, you like it. All they oh yeah, get that, like your red black heart deck does it's sink. Like, yeah, what yeah, yeah. What the heck are you doing? Yeah, that's the only <laughs> issue. But Reed's thrilled here, and it makes the Furia pick look a little better too. Yeah. Um, and I think once you open Boonbringer Valkyrie here, if you're Reed, like you're just locking in black white almost mm-hmm. 100% of the time, right? Yes, for sure. And that's pretty much what happens through Reed's draft. We're going to kind of shortcut Reed's draft quite a bit here because his draft is largely straightforward. And I think he, he did a, a fine job with it other than that one, maybe pack one, pick four pick that we've got a, a little bit of a disagreement with. Mm-hmm. And the next draft is a spicy one. So Reed's draft rounds out after getting this uh, Angel pack two pick one. He picks up some more black cards and is largely still almost mono black through pack two. And the packs are just weak. It's not like Reed is missing out on some other sick deck by, you know, staying heavy black here. He just hasn't seen a whole lot of reason to try to do anything other than black. So at the end of pack two, if we check in with Reed, he's got no removal other than his invasion of Fiora, which I think ultimately ended up being kind of the tipping point for his deck, not doing as well as he would have liked. But as you said, it's not like he's past Deadly Derision or Final Flourish or anything like that. Right. He just hasn't seen it. And he hasn't seen great removal in other colors either. Like, it's not like he's passed up on interaction options. So he's got the Wrath. He's got Render Inert, the Remove Five Counters, Draw Card, and Traumatic Revelation. Like, that's his interaction, which is not a great place to be. And I think a smidge light on power as well. Like, he's got the two bombs in Invasion of and Boonbringer Valkyrie, but a lot of filler other than that. Mm -hmm. So we move on to pack three. Somebody else opened Arona in pack three. Don't really know who it was. Um, And then Reed is revealing Blight Reaper Thalid and Invasion of Tolvada, which is the black-white rare invasion. Huge sigh of relief for Reed, knowing that he's going to get a sweet rare here. This is three black-white for a five defense battle. And when it ETBs, you return target non-battle permanent from your graveyard to the battlefield. And if you flip it, creature tokens you control get plus one plus one. If you flip it, you win. (laughs) (laughs) At the beginning of your end step, you can make a one, one white and black spirit creature token with flying. Yeah, that card is incredible. He also gets a great rare in his color in Breach the Multiverse. The each player mills 10 for seven mana, and then you put a creature planeswalker card from each graveyard into play under your control. That's a tough pick. That is wild. Honestly, I'm like looking at I'm like Blight Reaper Salad would be a great pack three pick one for him as well yeah just for his curve and to get the power level up a little lower in his curve yeah so what do you what do you like there between invasion and breach i think i would take breach ultimately just as like the highest impact card that requires no work of you right if you don't flip invasion of tolvada it's not insane and it requires a a certain board state and reed is not hyper focused tempo pressure has no removal to push his creatures through to try to attack the invasion so i think with what reed has right now i would take breach yeah that makes sense i also like there is the the fact that you pointed out that he is mono black here and that taking breach like there is a world it's low because valkyrie's so nuts but there is a world where if he gets past really good red cards and certainly if the red is removal if he's getting spites and stoke the flames or whatever he could pivot back to black red 
Yeah, I think that would not be crazy, especially with, you know, you've already got two powerful cards in Breach and Wrath. Although, does Wrath go down in value with the whole table knowing that you're Reduke and you have <laughs> Invasion have of Fury? Sure, and, well, and open deck lists, right? Like, so everybody's going to know that you have that. So I think that, yeah, it, it definitely goes down in value to an extent. It's still it's still incredibly powerful. Yes, and I think Wraths are way better than normal in this format, too, just from how it plays out with battles and all that. Yeah, for sure. All right, so the rest of pack three rounds out. Reed does pick up a Collective Nightmare as some interaction. Pick four, he gets hooked up with an Ayara Widow of the Realm. That's the uh, three mana rare that you can sacrifice a permanent and drain and gain equal to its mana cost and then flips into a thing that reanimates stuff from the graveyard once a turn at combat. So very cool rare pickup there. And then not a ton else as far as power and really only the Collective Nightmare as interaction. So if we look at Reed's final deck, it's almost mono black. And then he's got two Furias as well as the Boonbringer Valkyrie. He's got the Invasion of Fiora. He's got a Breach of the Multiverse and Phyrexian Gargantua at the top end. And then the bottom end is just a kind of a lot of derpy fillerish cards that you I don't think would be super happy to play. But this is a powerful looking deck that has the issue of a little bit lack of interaction and a little bit lack of cohesive plan or synergy like reed's really relying on drawing and casting boonbringer valkyrie his invasion and breach the multiverse yeah so reed's rounds went pretty unfortunately for him in round one and round two uh, round one he lost to bombs.com nathanacorn casita porn had two times galton and mavra following the Gitrog monster attracts a praetor's voice vorinclex invasion of alara tribute to the world tree like double tangled skyline, triple cosmic hunger, just the business. Mana base was maybe a little smooth, but he had no mana problems against Reed. And Reed was just kind of outpowered here. And then in round two, he lost to Marco Kamaluzzi, who I think had a fine deck, a, a very good red-white aggro deck. And Reed just kind of missed some land drops in the third game and, and Marco curved out. So some tight games there um, and lost in three to Marco. So Reed started out 0 and 2. Yeah, that's a bummer. And and worth pointing out that I believe the person who faced the um, uh, Nothicorns deck was the 3-0 from the pod. Yes, that deck did 3-0. Um, let's get to Nathan Stoyer on day two. Um, he's in the feature pod uh, draft area with all, all that. That top table is just stacked. Jim Davis, Javier Dominguez, who is now in top eight. Both he and Nathan made a top eight that'll be playing out today. So what Nathan reveals is new Elish Norn. Again, that's the four mana three five flips into the saga. I got to get one of my opponents the other day. They uh, they sacked their three creatures, and then in response to it, before it flipped, I got to kill it, which Ooh, is pretty, pretty what a savage. beating. Yeah, um, and also invasion of New Capenna. That's the white black sort of bone splinters variant that flips into the equipment. And Rona, the one and a blue one three looter. Uh, flip card was opened directly to Nathan's left. So passing to someone who is likely to be taking a blue card there and want to be blue. So pretty clear Elishnorn. Like I don't think there's other cards that I would take over it. Artistic Refusal, the Convoke Counter and Draw to Discard One spell. Uh, Streetwise Brawler, the green, one and a green uh, O2 with backup one, deals damage equal to its toughness. Inga Runei, four mana, scry three. You're just taking Elishnorn. You're just taking Elishnorn. 100% of the time, I, I do that. Nathan agrees. So both of us are basically the world champion, I think. Absolutely. You and Nathan have both <laughs> top aided the last three pro tours. So that's uh, <laughs> that seems pretty good. Pick two. We're already going to start to diverge here. Very interesting choices here. So Nathan sees Phyrexian Awakening. That's the three mana white enchantment. Uh, you incubate four and your Phyrexians have Vigilance. 
Knight Errant of Eos. This is the four and a white 4-4 four, four with Convoke. Um, and when it enters the battlefield, you get to look at the top X cards of your library, where X is the number of creatures you tapped, and then you get to reveal uh, any a number of those creatures. It, where X is the number of creatures you tap to cast it, and you get to reveal up to two creatures, I think, from among those cards that have mana value less than the blah, 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 whatever. Um, Sculpted Perfection is also in this pack as another incubate enchantment that's two white black. You incubate two in ETBs, and your Phyrexians get plus one, plus one. There's also Invasion of Xerex. That's the um, bounce-a-thing white-blue battle. And Cybercryptomancer, the O1 with Hexproof that has backup one. Yeah, this is an interesting pack here. I think, for me, I would be trying to decide between Phyrexian Awakening and Knight Errant of Eos. When Knight Errant pops off, specifically if you are in a white aggressive deck, it's really good. But also, it has some setup costs to be really good. And Phyrexian Awakening is just always good from what i've seen just a very powerful card if you play that on three and then flip your thing over into a four four on turn four you're pretty stable mabel and oftentimes also pressuring your opponent in addition to being stable thanks to the vigilance i think i would take phyrexian awakening here to follow up Aleshnor and just get myself deeper into white stay open and know that i've got a great card that has no setup cost well, and it's, it's, you're kind of doing a similar thing. Like if this were, so let me ask you this. We haven't, we haven't had a good, let me ask you this in a while. <laughs> if this were pack one, pick one, would you always want to be thinking about packs in a vacuum? Cause it sort of just lets you think about power level pack one, pick one. What would you take out of this? Ooh, I think I might take night air and pack one, pick one. Oh, wow. Okay. To yeah. let me build around it as the most powerful. It's a lot closer for me. I might still chicken out and take Phyrexian Awakening <laughs> at the Pro Tour just because I know it's going to do the thing. Right. If I'm on Arena, pack one, pick one, I would take Knight Aaron of Eos. I don't know. That would be really hard. I, I wouldn't. I don't feel like I know the format or those two cards well enough to definitively say what I think is better pack one, pick one. Yeah, but you're taking a white card here. So it's a nice that like you have Elish Norn, you know you want to be white and you get to take a powerful white card here. I agree. I would also take Phyrexian Awakening, and I've cast and drawn creatures a fair amount off of Knight Errant of Eos, but I like Phyrexian Awakening just a bit more. Again, sort of like a higher, what you were talking about, like there's a higher floor to that card. Yeah. And Nathan takes Sculpted Perfection here, which I want to know what his thought process was. You know, I wish we could just like interview him and say, hey, what, like, do you still make this pick? Do you agree with it? I just want to know in hindsight how he feels about that pick, because I think it had huge ripples for his draft from this point onward. I agree. Yeah. And and Nathan is a very good magic player, obviously, right? He's at the top table on day two of a pro tour. He top aided. He's, he's sort of a, a wonderkind these days. I think he's taken Sculpted Perfection for a reason. I just want to know what those reasons are because they're not on my radar. Yes, I agree. All right, pick three. He sees Quende Pride of Femrif. That's the three and a white, two, two with double strike, and your first strikers have double strike. Rampaging Geoderm is the red green signpost. It's a three, three with trample and haste. Oracle of Tragedy, the one and a blue, one, three that loots. Failed Conversion as the minus four, minus four aura, and a Pyretic Prankster, the red two mana, two one that flips into a three two. Yeah, not what you want to see here if you're Nathan, because this is a pretty weak pack with no real direction for you, right? Right. After taking Sculpted Perfection, Quende does not go in white black. That's essentially a a blue white gold card, I think, in the format for the most part. Right. Oracle of Tragedy, great two drop, but a little awkward, like doesn't go with the Sculpted Perfection at all. So I think if you're Nathan and you've taken Sculpted Perfection, I actually kind of like what he took here, which is Rampaging Geoderm. Like you're just taking the best card out of the pack. You're showing you're willing to move off Alesh Norn and White if need be. But you're probably also just putting no weight on this pack at all. But if you take Alesh Norn into Phyrexian Awakening and you're White, 
all of a sudden, Oracle of Tragedy starts to look much more appealing. Quende starts to look much more appealing as just a good four drop. And maybe you can navigate your way into blue white. I think he passed on Oracle here, partially because his neighbor had opened that Rona to his left. And he's thinking, well, I probably am not going to be blue because I won't see any impact too. But I don't think you really care what your neighbor's doing. And, and maybe he's not thinking that at all. I, I have no idea. And again, not the world champ. But I think if you go Alesh Norn into Awakening and you take Oracle here, you're on track to draft a pretty good deck and I'm one of the better decks in the format, right? Yeah. I mean, again, I think feel like this goes back to, I'm just wondering if I'm higher on Oracle of Tragedy than I should be. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's true. But you can also then take Quende and feel fine about the Quende pick here and stay on track to be white. And along with that Quende pick, you could also make the argument much like I was kind of saying with Reed, like there's two things the table's going to do. If they see that you opened Alesh Nor, they're either going to steer away from white, the people that are passing to you, or they're going to think, well, I could move into white and I could push like it's a double edged sword, right? People mm-hmm. could push you off of white so that you can't play the Alesh Norn. But if you get yourself deep into white, like if you go Alesh Norn into Awakening into Quende, even if you get pushed off white, you can find another color open enough to pair with those three white cards you got, right? So getting those first three picks all to be the same color gives you some flexibility down the draft, even if white's not open, you know, to be able to still be white and play a Leshnorn. Yeah, no, that all that all checks out. So uh, pick four, he's got a Sunder the Gateway as an option. This is the one in a white sorcery. You can either blow up a non-token artifact or enchantment and incubate two, or you can incubate two and then transform an incubate token. Jeru and Hazaret, this is the red-white five drop. It's a five four, I think, has like... Vigilance and Haste, if you have one or fewer cards in hand and finds legendary creatures. Ingarunai's, again, four mana, three, three, scry three on ETB. Uh, one of the blue invasions, we couldn't tell if it was Vrin or Invasion of Kamigawa, but either way, I think if we're thinking about a blue card, I'd take Inga over both of those invasions. Yeah, and I think with the way this draft has gone so far, you've got your Lesh Norn, you've got your Sculpted Perfection, you essentially blanked on pack three. I think you're taking Sunder the Gateway no matter what you've done here, just as a good white two drop. Also, especially happy if you're Nathan that it pairs well with Sculpted Perfection, making mm. you know a Phyrexian token to get plus one, plus one. That, that pulls up the value of Sunder quite a bit, but I love the Sunder pick here. Pick five, no real white cards in contention. I mean, I guess there's a Tarkir Dune Shaper, the single white one, two that flips into a four, three with Trample. I do not like that card very much. Uh, there's another Cyber Cryptomancer, the Hexproof uh, Flash Creature in blue, a Ravenous Sailback, the five mana, three, four in green that either has haste when it ETBs or blows up an artifact or an enchantment, and a Traumatic Revelation. Ben, you love this card. This is one of the black, you look at your opponent's <laughs> hand, the, war- the warm and fuzzy feelings. You look at your opponent's hand, you can choose a creature of battle from among the cards and have them discard it, or you can incubate three. I've come down on it. I think my love of that card is partially why my blue-black decks haven't been doing as well. (laughs) I've cooled on that card. I mean, it's good. I'll still play it, but I'm never playing more than one, I don't think. So I think looking at this pack, if you're Nathan, this is a pretty clear traumatic revelation because you've kind of set yourself up to be black-white with the Sculpted Perfection pick, but we don't really have a reason to be black other than Sculpted Perfection and could have in fact, avoided that by taking the Phyrexian Awakening. And then if you take Awakening and maybe you've taken Oracle earlier, like all of a sudden you could be whatever here and you could take maybe a better card, I think, in Cryptomancer and and maybe you're white, mono white, and you want to dip into black for the Traumatic Revelation. This is a weak pack and you don't put much stock in it regardless. But I think if you don't take Sculpted Perfection, you feel much less compelled to take Traumatic Revelation here. You could take Cryptomancer. You could take Tarkir Dune Shaper even to stay white. I mean, I don't love that as much, but certainly an option. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think that's all fair. I think, yeah, I think I would have gone Oracle 3 into Inga 4, and then here I'm taking Cryptomancer. So I'd get maybe mistakenly deeper into blue. You know, someone's got to draft blue at the Pro Tour, even though it's the best color. Why can't it be me? Yeah, for sure. Pick six picks up another black common and etched familiar, the three mana three, two, when it dies, you drain two. But he, he could have just grabbed, there's a Kithkin Billy Rider, which is equally filler, the three mana one, three, double strike knight, you know? Yeah, and well, an etched familiar goes makes sense for him with the sculpted perfection, right? Because it's a Phyrexian fox, sure. So it's going to turn into a four three. So I think if you do have the sculpted perfection, you take etched familiar here. But all of a sudden, again, if you don't have that sculpted perfection and you've got awakening, then you take Kithkin Billy Rider here, right, to get deeper into white because you you have no interest in the fox without sculpted perfection. I mean, so maybe he just thinks perfection is a lot better than we do. It's certainly possible. I I can't imagine it is that much better that it's worth dipping into a second color for. That's hard for me to wrap my head around. But again, maybe they know stuff about pod drafting that we don't because we also saw Reed kind of steer into white black as well. Mm, yeah, yeah. Maybe maybe the some testing teams were like, hey, this is underrated, but also pretty good. And here's how it works. Because he grabs another Sunder the Gateway pick seven, picks up a Rouse Reinforcements pick eight as again, just sort of a, a hedge towards maybe all the way back to that rampaging Geoderm, just thinking what's open, thinks it's the best card there. And then pick nine, he does wheel. And again, this might have been on his mind he wheels Invasion of New Capenna. That's a white-black battle when at ECBs you can sack a creature artifact. If you do, you destroy a creature artifact and flips into an equipment that effectively boosts the power of Phyrexians, right? You equip it to something when it attacks, you put a plus plus one counter on that creature and all other creatures you control that share its creature type. The Holy Frazzle Cannon, baby. The Holy Frazzle Cannon. Thank you very much. So maybe, maybe it was that... Do we think that's possible that he it's was possible. like, he knew that was in his pack one and took perfection. Okay, I'm going to try to be that. But at what cost? Right? Right. Because well, in the in the next pack, we see so in that pack, there's Inga Runeyes that if he had yeah. taken the, the heavier white path, he could have wheeled Inga Runeyes, which is a great wheel mm-hmm. and a pro tour draft, I think. And then pick 10 sees a pack with invasion of Xerex on the wheel. Which is crazy. That card should never wheel, right? Eh, it can wheel. It can I'm wheel, a, I I'm guess. Okay. I'm okay it's with very, the wheeling. It's very good. Like, it's you're fine. thrilled though, if you get it on the wheel in blue-white. Sure, yes. Like, I, I would be like, oh, cool, pick 10. But I'm not like, I wouldn't be compelled to say the, the age-old quote, what is this still doing in the pack? Yeah, but uh, yes. Okay, so you're, but I'm more excited about Invasion of Xerox wheeling than I am Invasion of Nucapeno wheeling. I agree, but I'm thinking, but but that wasn't information that Nathan had at the time, and it what like so I'm wondering if that was part of why he took the perfection and steered towards black white. Yeah. I mean, you could have also, I think, made the argument though that pack one, pick two, if you take awakening, you have a chance to wheel either sculpted yes. perfection or yes, invasion yes, of yes, yes. No, I'm 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 with you. I'm not I'm not walking it back. I'm just trying to <laughs> just trying to get inside the mind, you know? Yeah, yeah. Get ourselves primed for world championships. Good. Exactly. All right. So the rest of pack one shakes out. There's a cyber cryptomancer again, very late. Pick thirteen, right? Yeah. Yeah, Very late. Really. So could have, I think, drafted differently and been set up to go white, whatever, including white blue, but just could have been way deeper into white. Um, and the packs were pretty weak, but he he kind of committed for that sculpted perfection. And I just think that pick had huge ripples for his draft and causes some very interesting things to happen in pack two. Okay, so what goes on in pack two? All right. So pack two, Nathan's reveals are blanks. Javier shows an invasion of Ikoria, which is not super relevant. Um, and then Jim Davis reveals an invasion of New Phyrexia. That's the white blue mythic uh, that flips into the Teferi Planeswalker. And Jim is three seats to Nathan's left. 
So okay. he can kind of assume that he's going to maybe see some white and some blue, but then likely drying up. And he, he's also already expecting to not see blue. Right. Because because of the Rona that he assumes was taken directly to his left. So he's assuming now blue and potentially white with Jim, depending on like what's the splash for him, are going to get cut in pack two. Yeah. So in, so pack one, pick one, he sees Invasion of Arcavios. That's the blue find a thing from your sideboard battle. You're not taking that. Stormclaw Rager, one black red. Sacrifice Outlet. Vanquish the weak, um, the three mana, kill a thing with power three or less in black. Um, not a very good pack here. Yeah, it's a terrible pack. And I think he takes what is just the best card of the pack in Stormclaw Rager. Thinking about how pack one went, it's just tough to be like, does that make your deck? Like, what is the path where this makes your deck? Well, we're going to see it. We're going to see it. Pack two, he's got an Eyes of Gataxius. He's got a Deadly Derision, a black removal spell, a Scornblade Berserker, the single black 0-1 with backup one, and you pay one to sacrifice the creature to draw a card. Corruption of Tawashi is a card I like quite a bit. Goes with his Phyrexian stuff. The five mana enchantment makes a four incubate token. And whenever you transform something for the first time each turn, you draw a card. What do you like here? I think after taking Stormclaw Rager, this pack doesn't have a lot of great cards in it for you, particularly. You're worried about getting into blue, right? Because you expect blue to get cut from that Rona that was open to your left in pack one, pick one. So like seeing this blue here is not a signal at all because it's just early. I think I would take Deadly Derision as the best card in the pack after picking up Stormclaw Rager. You're already, you know, thinking you're white, black. Maybe you can pivot into black, red. So I like the Derision here. Okay. Pick three, he's got an Izumi Informant, a Phyrexian Gargantua, an Unsealed Necropolis. That's the three mana. Each player mills three, and then you can return up to two creature cards from your graveyard to your hand. And an Alabaster Host Sanctifier, that's the one and a white 2-2 Lifelinker. Yeah, this is an interesting pick here. So I think if you're Nathan, you're probably still thinking you're black-white. At least that's what I would be thinking. Like, I just had that unlucky pack two pick one where I took the Stormclaw Rager. You could think about taking... Nazumi Informant or even Phyrexian Gargantua, although I don't think Nathan really needs top end at this point, probably just right. wants to get the bottom of his curve filled out. There's a world where you take Informant and you, you're open to black, white or black, red. But I think if you're thinking you're, you're white, black, Alabaster Host Sanctifier probably gets the nod because also it's a, a Phyrexian Cleric. So it'll be that 3-3 lifelink with the uh, the enchantment that he picked up pack one, pick two. So I, I like the, the Host Sanctifier pick if you're thinking you're black, white here. Yeah, I mean, he he has to think still like, what's my best, like, where's my power? And his power is an Elishnorn, like, by far. Well, and his second best card is Sculpted Perfection. Right. For, for better or for worse. Yeah. So I think I, this makes total sense to me that he still thinks he's white and white whatever. Um, I guess it's just about, like, what do you think Alabaster Host Sanctifier's power is versus those black cards? But also it might be about, do you expect you're about to get cut on white? Take the white cards while you can. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, certainly. Pick four, he sees a Ravenous Sailback, a Kenra Spellspear, the red flip card, and an Angelic Intervention. That's the one on a white plus almost one counter and protection until end of turn trick. Yeah, I think you're still thinking you're white black. No reason to deviate from that. I think you take Angelic Intervention here. Okay, so then he grabs a Gift of Completion over no white cards. Pick six, he grabs a Dreg Recycler again over no white cards. And then pick seven... There's another Stormclaw Rager, another black-red signpost sack outlet. And he takes it over Furia, the white-black 2-4 lifelinking angel, which is kind of wild. So I think by taking Stormclaw Rager here, he's saying, like, I'm willing to go black-red. And and go black-red, he does, right? I mean, he gets a, a red-white land next, the wind-scarred crag, 
a red cap heel slasher, the first strike four drop um, with backup one in red on the wheel. Like he's kind of bopping around. He has outs, right, to splash some white now, maybe with the Windscarred Crag. So maybe he's thinking about splashing Sculpted Perfection, but it seems like he's going into red black. Yeah, I think at the end of pack two, he's open to be either white black or red black. Mm-hmm. Which is a pretty nice spot to be, especially since he seems like he felt he got pushed out of white a little bit. And I'm wondering if there are some other cards that were opened mm. that he know. like there's just other information he has that we don't have as viewers, right? Because we didn't get to see all of the revealed cards. So he might think, man, too many people are white. I am getting out, you know? Like, I wonder if that's somewhere reading around in his head. But I also want to make mention, too, in pack two, he passed some late stuff that could have been awesome for blue white. Like pick six, a Zalfir and Lancer and an invasion of Vryn. Pick eight, there's another invasion of Xerix. That's the blue white uncommon. Another Zalfir and Lancer. He could have gotten some early blue, some early white in some of those picks. He could have very easily been blue white in his seat as well. And I would make the case that he should have been blue white in his seat yeah i wonder if that just if it was it has to have been more than just the rona to his left that was giving him a little bit of cold feet about blue right i don't know i mean that's certainly a reason to maybe potentially stay out of blue but again you don't really care what the person to your left is doing in draft you probably care more at the pro tour because people are better at magic you know than Mm. you do in a random arena pod so there's probably more weight to it than i i'm saying but i just think it's really interesting yeah and pack three pick one continues to be really interesting in that he's got a lot of picks for this potential black red deck and i'm I'm curious what you would take here so his rare flip is iara widow of the realm that's the one black black three three uh you can tap and sack a thing to deal damage equal to its deal damage equal to its power i believe to a battle or player and you gain that much life flips into a thing that returns something from your graveyard for a turn uh, Deadly Derision, another black removal spell, and Invasion of Mercadia, the battle uh, that lets you discard a card and then draw two and then flips into the 3-3 three, three that you know makes 1-1s one, and gives everything plus one plus one in haste until end of turn. Those are three banger options. Three banger options. I like the Deadly Derision. I think you need the removal spell here. Your deck's not great at this point, so you want to make sure that you can answer your bombs. You've also seen a lot of bombs opened at the table that Deadly Derision deals with cleanly, right? You've seen mm-hmm. Vorinclex open, you've seen Rona open, like, you know there are individual cards that you are going to need to kill. Yeah, that makes total sense. And the treasure you get from Derision plays so nicely with the double Stormclaw Rager. Right, that you're potentially splashing in a white-black deck at this point, if you're Nathan, yeah. Yeah. Uh, pick two, uh, he's got s- another removal spell option in Final Flourish versus some white cards with Cut Short, the kill a tapped creature or a Planeswalker that was activated with Convoke and Sigiled Sentinel, the three mana 2-2 two, two with Vigilance and Backup 1. Yeah, I think you take Final Flourish here. Similar reasoning, like you love the interaction here. And we're getting a little bit of a full circle jury duty here on <laughs> Act 3, Pick 3. Jury Master of the Review is here for Nathan to go with his Stormclaw Raiders, to go with these treasures he's making from Deadly Derisions. That's black red for the 1-1, grows whenever you sacrifice something, and then when it dies, deal damage equal to its power to any target. Yeah, he pulls the trigger on the jury, and I think with this pick, solidifies himself into black red, gets a drag recycler, like the pack rounds out, and he, he ends up in a functional black red deck. I think not a great deck, but certainly given how his draft started, a really brave pivot and a really cool pivot. And I think probably the right thing for him to do, given how his draft started with that sculpted perfection pick. Mm -hmm. But there's also an alternate universe where he gets deeper into white in pack one and then reaps the rewards in pack three for blue white. And again, hindsight's 2020, but I, I do think I would make the case that it's 
right to get deeper into white in pack one. And so he passes in pack three, pick four, Marshal of Zalfir, the blue-white uh, pump soldiers. He passes Preening Champion, and then pick seven, another Marshal of Zalfir. He wheels like some good stuff in blue-white. He wheels a Marshal, pick 12. Like He could have had the goods in blue-white, potentially. And instead, he actually pivoted to red-black underneath Simon Nielsen, who was passing directly to him. So he kind of got lucky in pack three that the packs were stacked with black and red cards to end up with because he had a great pack three, like underneath someone who was drafting black red. Right. Yeah, that's hard to do for sure. So a super interesting draft there. And I do like his pivot into red black, given what he did in pack one, I think. But you would have probably ended up in blue white. I would have a hundred. I would have a hundred percent ended up in blue white in the seat. Yeah, and not necessarily. I think I would have taken the Oracle of Tragedy pack one pick three. But even if you don't do that, those other picks that were really weak in pack one, like picks five through eight, you're just able to take white cards there to stay white because there's no reason for you to be anywhere other than white power level wise. Right. Because you have the Elish Norn and the Phyrexian Awakening. Right. Yeah. Oh, really, really interesting. And Nathan ends up going 2-0-1 with this draft, right? Wins his first two rounds and then does an intentional draw against his teammate um, round three. Yeah. Just beats Simon Nielsen, who's red black passing to him. Like that's wild. Savage. Truly what savage. A guy. What a guy. What can you do? I mean, world champ. There you have it. Jury duty uh, in, our, in our drafts and jury duty for Nathan on day two. Do you love to see it? Love to see it. All right. Great place to wrap us up. Thank you, as always, to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give it a listen. Thank you so much to CoolStuffInc.com for sponsoring this podcast. Go over there and use code LOL for 5% off of anything that you purchase, anything that you want over there. Plus, they got a lot of great free content as we talked about. CoolStuffInc.com, where they have cool stuff in stock. You can check out all of our other content. I'm not streaming so much these days, um, but I am at Twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. Ben's at Twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. I'm throwing up some videos on our YouTube channel. All of that content, plus our tier lists, plus our merch, plus ways to contact us, all that good stuff is at our website, lordsoflimited.com. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, you can shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later.